How are you doing? Awesome. We're glad you're here. We're glad those who are listening online, maybe you have a, a sick one at home. I actually have a little bit of a cold. Don't worry. I've checked my temperature uh, numerous times, and the highest it got was 97 degrees. So I am here, but I'm still hiding out because I have a cold. Um, so you may not see me between services. But here's, have you noticed how people are kind of really upset about everything that's going on? And here's what I would, I would like you to see. If you are looking for people who are going to panic, you will find them. If you are looking for people who think this is no big deal, you will find them. Rather than trying to fit the narrative for what you want with all this coronavirus and stuff, is rather look to Jesus and let's not worry about what may or may not happen. Let's take preventative action, yes. If you are sick and you have a fever, please don't come. But I also don't want you just to hide out because you're scared of, that's no way to live life, right? So as we go forward, here's what my challenge is to you. Live for Jesus and let it work out. Ironically, we're talking today about, about the Encounter Series. And as we're talking about the Encounter Series, the idea of encountering Jesus should be contagious. Say, Daniel, are you going there? Yeah, well, it was already written, okay? So the idea of, of in following Jesus should be contagious for those of us who follow Jesus. And contagious doesn't always have to be a bad thing. Because followers share what they... That, when you're sharing what you know, it, it is sharing with the world what God has shown you. That should be contagious. And we're going to talk about that even more through this series and this sermon. And we're going to look today in the story of Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, of a dead man coming to life and the implications for that for our life. But before we do, you can type your Bibles and turn to Luke 7. Uh, Drew stated at least three times last week, this is a very important theme throughout our encounter series. The encounter wasn't just for the man that was healed, but for those who heard or witnessed Jesus in action. The encounter wasn't just for the man that was healed, but for those who saw and heard of the action. Luke 7, 11, afterward, after what? After he just performed some miracles, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd travel, were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of a town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son. And she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Don't weep. And then he came up and he touched the open coffin and the pallbearer stopped and he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. And then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. You see, as Jesus began to do more and more miracles, as he began to show the divinity of God, the news of Jesus and his encounters had spread to the degree that a large crowd was following him. But this is one of those stories that as we look at this, and as we begin to allow God to use us, we might sit there and go, okay, Daniel, how does a dead man being raised to life have implications for our world today because I don't see that happening a lot. Anybody? No, no one's seen. I haven't seen that either. 
I think it has huge implications for our faith. And first and foremost, it begins with the understanding that Jesus resurrected the man out of compassion for his mother. Why did Jesus have compassion for his mother? You notice it didn't say, that's the whole idea of the encounter series, right? It didn't say, Jesus raised the dead man for the sake of the dead man. Why? He was dead. Oh, let me put to you another way. Uh, I had the privilege of doing a service this week for a man who'd been in this church for many, many years, a great follower of Christ. And the peace I have in doing that service is knowing that he is in a, wait for it, much, much better place. So if you're a follower of Jesus, me bringing you back from the dead, not that I could do that, Jesus bringing you back from the dead would actually like, actually I kind of would rather be up there. So why did Jesus have compassion on his mother? Because he was her only son. Did you see that? She was a widow and he was her only son, which basically says he had compassion on her because by bringing her son back to life, he gave her life. Because a widow who didn't have a son in that day was basically signing a death warrant. How are you going to live? How are you going to survive? And, and so he, he brought her son back to life. You're like, that's awesome. Jesus had compassion. Why didn't he do that still today? You're not answering the question. Why does Jesus still not bring people back to life like that today? Well, let's go through a few more of the basics that we have in this passage. Jesus not only resurrected the man out of compassion for his mother, but he did so because he was fully God. He had compassion because he was fully human, and yet he resurrected her because he was fully God. Say, Daniel, but you're still not answering the question. I'm getting there. The idea of Jesus being fully God is vital for us to understand because there is, Jesus is a part of what we call the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three essences. Okay? Jesus, the Father, and the, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son. <laughs> Math. I'm on cold medicine, okay? And so, as he's doing this, the, he is one, yet three. So while Jesus was fully human, he was fully God. So that explains why you and I can't go around going, dead man, rise! You're not God. Do we get that? So Jesus is no longer in human form, so it's kind of hard to go. But does Jesus still resurrect? Is the Father still in the resurrection business? Is God still in the resurrection business? Yes, that's why we're studying this passage. He is still resurrecting people. That's the reason Jesus came to begin. He's resurrecting souls. He's resurrecting life. You see, the reason that I loved doing that ceremony this week, even though it was sad and we mourned and we miss him, was that it was a celebration because a life that encounters Jesus does not fear death. And so when Jesus came, as we find in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22, one of the passages we read at funerals, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who were dead, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. 
so much there. Still a bunch of churchy words, right? Through Adam, the person who first sinned, Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, ate of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat of, and all of a sudden they went from knowing good to knowing good and evil. Sin entered the world. A holy God became separated from his creation because we were not holy anymore. We did what we wanted to do. And a holy God can't be in that. But he still loved us enough. The Father loved us enough to send the Son to die for us so that you and I, through the first fruits of his humanity coming down, may be resurrected to new life. Let me explain it to you like this. Some of you may have noticed this is over on the side. This is a life preserver. This is the way I like to describe this illustration. If you've been to Discovering Calvary or Merge, which, by the way, is happening at Chris's house tonight, not mine, just that's free. Um, as you're doing all this stuff, when you start looking around, this is how I like to describe salvation. A life jacket. Why? Because it's what saves you. Now, I know this isn't a jacket, it's a preserver, but just go with me, okay? Cold medicine, all that stuff. I like to describe the fact that your life is like being on a boat that you know is sinking. Guess what? You're going to die. Sorry, I know that's not a very festive thing to share, but it's just true. You're going to die. You know the boat is sinking. And somewhere along the lines, the Bible says that you were separated. You're, you, you put a hole in your boat. It's going down. Death is imminent. The Father loved you enough to send His Son so that whoever calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. Whoa. Now, here's what I want you to understand about salvation. Salvation actually comes in a couple of waves. That's why the Bible in Philippians says we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The moment that you receive Christ, the moment that you call on his name for salvation, he comes upon you. Or more precisely, his spirit comes upon you. We'll come back to that in a minute. But as you do that, you are still walking around. In other words, the boat's not sinking. So you're sitting there going, woohoo, I'm saved, woo! I'm not in the water yet. I'm not in the water yet. I'm doing it. And then Wednesday, when the boat actually goes under or the coffin goes under the ground, you know what I'm saying? Jesus is going to look down and say, yeah, I know him. He called out my name and the Father's going to go, good, come on home. And in that moment, you are saved again, but in a different way. Your eternity is saved. So on this earth, the moment that you call out the name of Jesus, your salvation is secure. But the salvation is actually at the ultimate fruition for eternity when you are no longer breathing on this earth. Does that make sense? Now, can you take the life preserver off? That's what denominations argue over. Don't care. Here's the point. If you know what you're going, you're not going to take it off. All right? Here's what I would say. A lot of times, the problem that we don't understand what Jesus was doing in this passage is he still wants you to encounter him on this earth now. And so even though you have the life preserver and you know you're saved, by the way, this should make you stand out in the crowd, right? Can you imagine walking around with West Lafayette going, what's up? You know, why are you wearing a life preserver? Because my life is about to die, you know? And they're like, what? Do you have the coronavirus? You know, all this stuff. And you're sitting here going, no, I, I just, I need Jesus. And the presence of God should rest on us in such a way that people go, man, 
What's different about you? By the way, I am sorry this class is with my hair, okay? Um, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Cold medicine, people. Aren't you glad God is a God of humor? Amen. But as we live our life, we also are called as we're walking around with his presence on us, not called to go, this is so hard. Because salvation is supposed to begin here. That's why we're able to read this verse that says later on in 1 Corinthians 15, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, our separation from the holiness of God. But the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you can be saved by calling on the name of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. If you call on the name of Jesus and believe that he was raised from the dead, then you can be raised from the dead, which is what we symbolize in baptism. We are dying to our old self and being raised to a new life to live with God for now and to eternity. Now, that is wonderful. If you've never done that, we want you to follow up in the next step space. Why don't we act like that more? And some of you are very astute and you're going, Daniel, you still haven't answered the question, just how does Jesus resurrect still today? He resurrects the death in your life that separates you from him. And when we symbolically baptize you in the water, what we're saying is we are dying to the old way and we are being raised in Christ. In Christ. Let's come back to that in just a second. A pastor by the name of Erwin McManus said that one of the biggest struggles he finds that after people follow Jesus is they know they're supposed to live a different life. And they chase after the holiness of God. So that they've put on this life preserver, but that no one's ever taught them that, that following Jesus should be exciting and fun on this earth. That it should be a, a place that is resonated with joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and self-control. That in this life, we, we, we know we're supposed to do that. So what we do is we continue to raise the bar in our churches. We continue to raise the bars in our household of saying, if you really love Jesus, then you will, boom. And we try to jump over that bar, but we don't seem to succeed. And so we were down here and we keep raising the bar saying, this is what it looks like to be holy. In my day and age, it was when, like, how thick of a Bible can you carry, right? That was pre-iPad times. There was a time before iPad. Yes, kids, I promise. Or I went to a Christian school, and so the way you knew you were holy is if you wore a tie to the cafeteria, it meant that you had been to church. Spoiler, that was the sure sign you didn't go to church. You were overcompensating for the fact that you slept in. We raise the bar of holiness, and we sit there and go, if, I, if God is so holy and he saved me, then why am I still struggling? Because we keep trying, and all we're doing seemingly is when we raise the bar, is it seems like the higher the bar raises, the higher we get in the pursuit of God, the farther we have to drop. Anybody ever felt that way? It was just me. 
Maybe, he says, that instead of trying to raise the bar to an unattainable height, we need to realize that the only way we can actually jump over that bar is to raise the floor. How do you raise the floor? You die to the old way. In other words, the only way to really find the peace and the joy in this life that you want to find is to truly say, God, I need to be made new, and these areas need to completely be gone from my life. Well, how do we do that? Go back to that 1520. It says, so in Christ. Have you ever noticed throughout the New Testament um, how often it uses the word in Christ? I took seven semesters of Greek, not very proficient. There's a couple of you in this room I know that know more Greek than me, and I took seven semesters, okay? But I remember this one little thing about Greek that really trans, um, changed my life, transformed my life. And that was the idea of in Christ. So this is a hula hoop. <laughs> I know, I'm on cold medicine, but I still know this is a hula hoop. And when I am in this hula hoop, I am in the hula hoop. So let's say this represents your relationship with Christ. What we do far too often is we sit there and we go, God loves you now into an eternity, but he wants you to live different. So we create a little spot, a corner in your closet, where you're taught to go do a great thing called a quiet time. Nothing wrong with quiet times. I'm a big proponent. You should do one. But in that spot, what we do is we take our little coffee mug that says John 3.16, and we take our journal, and we make sure and Instagram it so everyone knows we're holy. And we get in the time, and we sit there, and we pray. And what a lot of times what we're doing is, God, fill me up because I'm about to go out in the world. God, fill me up because today is going to be hard. Is this resonating with anybody? Or we go to a small group setting, and we sit there and go, boy, now I'm, I, I can't wait to be in my small group because we're going to be together in Christ, in Christ. And we're going to be fellowshipping, and we're going to hold each other accountable, and we're going to challenge each other to really grow. Great. Or I come to church on Sunday morning, sometimes regularly, unless it's, you know, well, it is leap year, and so maybe I'll skip every other week. And, you know, but we, when we come, we sit there and go, God, I want to be now in Christ here. Fill me up, because when I go out into the world, it's, it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult. The idea of in Christ was never meant to be in a location. It's the same idea that when someone says to me, hey, Daniel, I'm sorry I cussed in church. Well, the church is everywhere two or more are gathered, so I'm just going to let you know that. Maybe we've been looking at this all wrong. You see, the idea of in Christ, dying to self allows what he has done through his resurrection to come alive in us. So that when I'm living in Christ, my job is to take him wherever I go. So you know why you don't sin? Because you recognize Christ is there. When that temptation hits you, Christ is there. When, when, when you go to your work, to your school, when you're trying to be the best mom, you can be the best dad, you can be, Christ is there. And in Philippians 2, it talks about if you have any understanding of this, make your attitude like that of Christ. So we look to Christ as the author and the perfecter of our faith, chasing after him with every fiber of our being. Now, here's the problem. On this earth, sometimes Christ moves. He doesn't change, but he moves. You ever notice God's moving? And so we sit there and go, "Woo! Christ moved over here, and I'm over here. Is that even possible? 
Yes, let me explain it like this. Going back to this. So when I come to Christ, when I say, Jesus, come into my life, what does the Bible describe it as? The Father gives us a gift in his presence. So when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you call on the name of Jesus, believing he died, then the Holy Spirit is what comes upon you. This is what changes you. This is with you wherever you go out throughout the day. But the Holy Spirit works best when it's in union with what Christ is leading you to do. So a lot of times you struggle because you're sitting there going, Jesus in the morning, give me the strength for today. And then we leave Jesus there as our example of the way we live. And we want the Holy Spirit to somehow guide us in a way when, when it isn't aligned with what Christ is saying. You get it? And so the Holy Spirit's all the while well, going, you're not going to be able to do this on your own. Get back in Christ. So as Jesus, as his example is shown throughout the New Testament, as he says, go over here and talk to this person. I don't want to. What you're doing is you're stifling the Holy Spirit's power in you, and you're not dying to anything. You're living out your own desires. But when you're willing to say, the Holy Spirit, which by the way, the Bible tells us when we don't even know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will speak on our behalf. That's pretty cool. Will guide us into the path where the Holy Spirit leads. And so as we die, we're saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, follow Jesus. Where's he going? I don't know, but you want to be there. I don't know. You want to be there? Oh, I'm at home. And when you live with that mentality that the way that I'm supposed to live on this earth is not only with the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, but allowing the Holy Spirit to lead me into my relationship with Christ by looking at his example, which is why we look to Jesus as the author and the perfecture of our faith, not the Holy Spirit, because the Jesus, uh, Jesus part of the Trinity shows us how to live and intercedes, the Holy Spirit intercedes on behalf of the Father, and the Father is the one who is guiding and is over all and through all and etc. You understand? This is how you die to yourself. You have to align the Holy Spirit with the will of Jesus. And you have to take the power of Jesus with you everywhere you go. You willing to do that? That's how you raise the floor. And that's how our God is still resurrecting. And that's how God changes us. And that's why we have things called disciplines. And that's why we try to get you to understand that, yeah, this is great that you come to church once a week, but if you just walk around saying, I'm going to step into Jesus for an hour a week, you're never going to get it. What would really change this world and where we become contagious is when we start walking around West Lafayette like this. I think this would make a statement. <laughs> By the way, don't actually do that because that's crazy. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> Looking at you, college students. Um, <laughs> love you. <laughs> Boy, this cold mess is good. Um, as you go around and live, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to say, God, make me so different. That as he leads me to talk to people, they go, I don't know what's different about you. You, you look really different. I go, I know. One in. I know this is, this is what will change you. Here's, here's where you can find a, the life preserver. 
And what's amazing is I think a lot of times we don't die to ourselves because we're so focused on what we're dying to and not looking to what we're resurrected to. You don't conquer things on your own. But you are resurrected by looking to the heavens, to the resurrector. And amazingly enough, when you do that, you don't want to do those things anymore. So here's our daily training application. Our daily training for today is create clear steps to help raise your floor. What does that look like for you? Say, you haven't told me. I know. Guess what? I can't hold your hand in every single step of the faith journey. What does it look like for you to really understand what it realizes that Jesus is with you every moment? And trust in God and make your life devoted to him. And then realize that people were mad, but then they glorified God. (laughs) Because people will be scared when you start to change. Your spouse will go, what's your angle? I know you. Can a man change, right? Keep dying by looking at the resurrector. And watch as he raises you and changes you and raises your floor. And then you know what happens? It's pretty easy to jump up a little bit higher because it's not so high anymore. That's how you attain holiness. So as I close, I just want to almost pray these verses over you in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. God, may you receive the glory because there's nothing I can do to resurrect anything in my life. Yet you are. God, I ask that you move in our midst. I thank you just for the little things that you do, like getting us through a sermon with a cold. And God, continue to move in our midst. Continue to thank you for laughter, for peace, for love, for joy, for everything that is good because you are the great I am, the holy one, the omniscient, the healer, the provider, the sustainer, our resurrector. So God, help us to die so that you might come alive and claim the victory that is yours. In your name we pray.